All right, so uh, I am live here today again, third time in a row, mostly on time. And today I'm gonna be talking about getting a little bit deeper into AWS. I talked about some basics in the last couple weeks, and now I'm gonna get into some of the details and talk about how to prepare for your first certification with AWS. This is something that happens with me quite a bit is when I'm teaching cloud computing at a university in particular, one of the things that we do is we get into doing uh, AWS uh, cloud practitioner training. So first thing I'm gonna start out with here is to get into you know, how to use the official material, how to get started with studying for the exam, and then I'll actually go through some of the official material from AWS. All right, so I'm gonna start off then with just sharing my screen, and this would be a good place to start. And if you notice this repo here, uh, this is in GitHub. I have uh, AWS Bootcamp. I'm gonna put a bunch of stuff here, including notes on the AWS uh, for 52 weeks uh, podcast. And in general, this is a great place to just kind of hang out here. And uh, to start off here, notice I have a link here that says AWS Certified Practitioner Overview. Let's go ahead and take a look at this and just walk you through some of the things that are important. This is the first level certification, the AWS Certified Cloud Practitioner. And I would, again, recommend you start here, especially if you if you don't have experience with AWS. And who should take the exam? Pretty much anybody can take it. It takes about 90 minutes. The cost is $100. There's 65 questions. Very doable. And it's really a great place to get started here. Now, if we look at the exam guide, this is one of the things that I'll bring up here that I think is really important is to always look at the exam guide when you're studying for an AWS certification. If we look at what the exam validates, you can see that it says it explains the value of the AWS cloud. It uh, helps you understand and explain the AWS shared security model, also understand security best practices, understand AWS uh, cloud costs, economics, billing processes, describe the core services of AWS compute, network, database of storage, and then identify the right uh, service for the scenario. And this you'll see as you get more advanced when you're using AWS is that the services and the use case become much, much more uh, tied in together. So uh, again here, you can see this is the, the overview. There's multiple choice, there's multiple response. And then if we go down to the, the domains, this is always a good place to, to hang out a little bit is you can go into uh, each of the domains and see that there, the, the technology itself is the primary uh, focus of this exam. There's some stuff on security and compliance, and there's also cloud concepts and billing. So let's go ahead and just you know go through some of these domains here. First up, we've got domain one, cloud concepts. You'll need to be able to understand the benefits of cloud computing for security, reliability, high availability, elasticity, agility, pay-as-you-go pricing, scalability, global reach, economies of scale. So some of these words may seem like buzzwords, and I, I see this a lot when people are first learning AWS. They're like, what is elasticity? I don't like this. Or high availability, uh, you know, I don't, I don't like this. This is a great opportunity to take these, put them into a document somewhere, look them up on the AWS website, and then define them yourself. And this is a great way to understand it. Also, some of the things that you'll need to know in that first domain are to identify the aspects of cloud economics, def define items that you would be part of your, your total cost of ownership, understand the role of billing, and then also get into cloud architecture principles. So designing for failure, uh, decoupling components versus monolithic architecture, 
thinking and parallelization. These are all great places to, to pay attention to in the first domain. The second is security and compliance. I would say probably the most important on any AWS exam is security. Even though they may say it's only a certain percentage, you'll see security questions throughout all exams. So what is the shared security model is a, is a question that we're, we're gonna talk about in the next uh, coming weeks. But basically it means that AWS manages some things, you manage some things. So in particular, the data center is a great example. You don't have to have armed guards you know, managing a, a data center you know, physical security, you can actually offload that to AWS. And then some of the compliance things uh, come into play. Also how uh, groups and users and roles uh, play a role. And then if we get into technology, you know, they'll, they'll ask you questions about, for example, what's an API, which is a very good thing to, to know about. What's an SDK, how to use the console, how to use the command line tools. What's the global infrastructure? What's the core services? And, and then finally, in terms of billing, you'll need to know things like what's, what is a spot instance and how does it work and you know what's on-demand pricing and how does billing work. All these kinds of things are important. And again, you can just go through here and, and look at the exam overview. So now that you've got the overview for Cloud Practitioner, what we can do is actually get into the official material here. And I'm gonna break down this each week and we'll just start with whatever we can cover in let's say 30 to 60 minutes. So first up, if I go into this uh, first set of slides here, I'm gonna go into slideshow mode and I'm just gonna talk through these slides real quick. So this particular um, set of material is the official documentation for AWS certifications. And in, in a nutshell, uh, the general knowledge for the exam is you have to have some IT knowledge. It's preferable if you know a little bit about cloud computing. It's also preferable if you know about distributed um, systems and networking. Uh, but it's not required. And after you're completing this course or the, you know, basically the slides here, you should be able to define the AWS cloud, the pricing principles. You should know about IAM, also about VPC. You should know a little bit about uh, the, the Elastic Compute Cloud, including uh, Lambda and Elastic Beanstalk. I'll also go through these later. And then what is S3, EBS, EFS, and Glacier? That's a great terminology, you know, word salad there that would confuse a lot of people unless you've gone through and you've written these de these um, definitions out for yourself. Also know about database services, including Dynamo, Redshift, and Aurora. And then make sure you know cloud architecture principles. And then know about ELB, CloudWatch, auto-scaling. So those are the things that will be covered. Uh, and I'm gonna cover these over the next few weeks is cloud concepts overview. That's what we'll get today. Maybe we'll get into cloud economics. Module three is global infrastructure. Uh, module four is AWS cloud security. Uh, module five is networking and content delivery. Module six is compute. Module seven, storage. Module eight, databases. Nine, cloud architecture. 10, automatic scaling and monitoring. All right, so the cloud concepts overview, uh, the main thing is gonna be covering uh, what is cloud computing. Uh, and then in terms of billing, it's the fundamentals of pricing, total cost ownership, AWS organizations, billing and cost management, and then how do you get support? And three is global infrastructure, AWS services, module four, cloud security, including the shared security model that I talked about before. Uh, networking includes what are networking basics, uh, what is an Amazon VPC? What is VPC networking? What is VPC security? What is Route 53? Uh, and then what is Amazon CloudFront? 
compute services. So what is EC2? How do you optimize cost for EC2 container services, introduction to AWS Lambda, and also introduction to AWS Elastic Beanstalk, seven storage, elastic, elastic block storage, what is it? Uh, simple storage system, S3, what is it? Elastic file system, what is it? What's the simple storage service glacier? Databases, we've got Amazon RDS, we've got DynamoDB, which is our key value database. We've got Redshift and we have Aurora. Cloud architecture, there's something that you'll hear a lot, especially amongst consulting called the well-architected framework. We'll cover that, reliability and availability, and then AWS Trusted Advisor. Module 10 will be automatic scaling and monitoring, including um, EOBs or elastic load balancing, Amazon CloudWatch, Amazon EC2 auto scaling. And then in terms of the exam, uh, I talked a little bit about this, but I'll just dig into this even more here since we have the official material, is that this is the foundational certification. If you wanted to get every single certification that that is offered by AWS, this is probably the first spot. And you have to know roughly around six months of, of training around AWS to pass it. You obviously can pass it much quicker if you speed through and, and, you, and you cram for it. Uh, once you've got this, then the associate level is more about a year's worth of experience. So the solutions architect is really the juggernaut. You'll see this one all over the place. In fact, uh, I think some of the numbers I've seen are anywhere between 130 to 150,000 per year. You can get paid if you have a solutions architect. So you could definitely make this the case where why, why even go to school? Just take the AWS solutions architect certification, get some experience, and you make a six-figure salary. Personally, I think the certifications plus school is a, is a great combination. And then there's the professional level, which is actually something I'm working on preparing some training material for now, which is really uh, kind of the elite level certification. You have to have at least a couple years of experience doing comprehensive designing, operating, troubleshooting. So you can bet that's going to be a very difficult exam. There's other ones like operations, which is sysops. There's DevOps, uh, which I've also prepared material for. Uh, there's the developer associate. And then the specialties, and I have actually been involved with some of these uh, specialties before and passed them. There's AWS machine learning specialty. There's Alexa, skill builder. There's security specialty, advanced networking, big data. So from my opinion, I think why not? If, if you're wanting to do a, a career change, set a goal for yourself to pass all of these. First though, Let's get past the cloud practitioner. A few things you can mention. We already went through the official documentation, the exam guide, going through the sample questions. Once you're done, you can share it on LinkedIn, your resume. Uh, and then in terms of documentation, it is important to know you can get all the documentation from docs.aws.amazon.com. And the white papers, this is probably the, the Achilles heel of most people that take the exam is they don't follow the white papers and as a result they don't pass the exam why why do you want to follow white papers because those are the source of truth for amazon and if you think about how people would write an exam they're going to go to the source of truth and then you know basically synthesize that information to create an exam question so if you do not read the white papers you will have a very difficult time uh, pricing uh, or passing the exams all right, so that's probably a good place to kind of shift into the next section here, which is now let's get into some actual material. Uh, and, and this is a good one. We'll, we'll start off with, uh, according to AWS, what are the cloud uh, concepts overview? So we're gonna talk about introduction to cloud computing. 
We'll also talk about advantages of cloud computing and uh, introduction to Amazon Web Services and then the cloud adoption framework. So after you complete uh, this module, you're gonna be able to know about the different kinds of cloud computing. You're gonna be able to describe six advantages of cloud computing, recognize the main Amazon services, and then also review the CAF or uh, cloud adoption framework. All right, so let's get into it. What is cloud computing? And you know, if you think about it, uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting question for many people. It means many different things, but in, in a nutshell, it's an on-demand delivery of uh, compute, database, storage, applications, IT resources, and it's pay as you go. So you can think of it much more like a utility, like the water you know, or the power or trash. It's something where you pay on demand and the more you, you, you consume, the more you pay. And these uh, resources can be used together like building blocks to build solutions for business goals. So that's really the best analogy I would recommend is it's a utility. So infrastructure as software, it, it basically allows you to quit thinking about physical infrastructure. As I mentioned before, one of the most annoying ones is actually how do you maintain physical security, right? Like that kind of stuff just goes away because you can think of infrastructure as software. And the, in the traditional computing mo module, infrastructure is basically thought of as hardware that you got space, staff, security, all this stuff, long-term um, hardware procurement. Like for example, what if there's an outage? Uh, you know, How do you actually go and fix it? How do you actually procure the right hardware? What if there's a shortage? What if your vendor like gets in a fight with you? <laughs> like there's all these problems that just go away when, when you don't have to actually uh, maintain the infrastructure and you don't have to guess how much infrastructure to keep as well. Now in terms of the cloud computing model, Infrastructure as software is really a, a key component. And because things are now software, they're flexible, you can change more quickly, and it helps developers, IT departments differentiate between uh, capacity planning, maintenance, procurement, uh, and really it, it's, a, it's a huge win for, for many organizations. The, the three areas of cloud service models that are the most important to consider initially are infrastructure, uh, as a service, and that's IaaS, uh, and then there's platform as a service, PaaS, software as a service, um, SaaS or SaaS. You'll, you'll hear that a lot. SaaS, a good example, is Gmail or, or Google Docs. Platform as a service is more of a uh, hosted solution. So this would be things like Elastic Beanstalk or Google App Engine, where you're just taking some code in a framework and you're deploying it into the cloud. Infrastructure as a service, this is the building block. So this is cloud storage, cloud compute. And in, if you're an expert, you, you potentially would wanna shift more towards IIS. If you're more of a startup and you wanna move quickly, you might shift more towards PaaS. Now, cloud computing deployment models, we've got cloud, we've got hybrid, and we've got on-prem, which is the, the private cloud. So basically a cloud-based application would be it's fully deployed in the cloud and all the parts of the application run the cloud and it has every single benefit and it's used, using the low-level infrastructure. A hybrid is more about connecting the infrastructure and applications uh, and using the existing resources not located on the cloud. Uh, and so this allows you know, organizations that wanna maybe you know, go, go slowly. And then on-prem is using things like virtualization, management tools, sometimes people call this the, the private cloud. 
So there's a lot of similarities between AWS and traditional IT. And so if you see in traditional IT, and I've had to deal with these in my life, there's the firewall, there's the ACL, there's the, the ops people, there's the network pipe. I mean, these are actual physical devices. There's on-premise servers, there's these databases, but on AWS, it's all virtual. In fact, your entire IT department becomes a laptop and you can see that basically you can do security groups and network ACLs and, and, and the IM roles and elastic load balancer and compute becomes just machines that you launch in the cloud. Storage uh, all becomes a, a different cloud-based virtualization. So some of the takeaways are that cloud computing is on-demand delivery of IT resources via the internet and it's pay-as-you-go pricing. Cloud computing enables you to think about your infrastructure. There are three different cloud service models, IaaS, PaaS, and SaaS. The three cloud deployment models, cloud, hybrid, on-prem, uh, or private cloud. And anything you can do for the most part with traditional IT, you can do on your laptop with AWS Cloud. So this is definitely a new way of thinking, and I think that's one of the big takeaways as well, is that people should be aware that the excuse of, well, we can't do that, the cloud doesn't offer it, it really, for the most part, is a bad excuse. Okay, how do you take advantages of cloud computing? In particular, one of the things that you do is you trade capital expense for variable expense. So what this means is that instead of you getting a loan for $2 million, you don't need to do that instead you just pay for what you use right so imagine if you had to buy like a power plant just to get your lights turned on you, you most people wouldn't do it instead we use a variable expense which is the utility so additionally there's something called massive economies of scale we see this with walmart we see it with costco because the aggregate usage from all the customers uh, comes together aws can have economies of scale and they can pass those savings on to the customer that's why if you go to to costco and you buy something you know it can be i don't know 25 percent of what it is at a smaller store because they're able to buy it in bulk and give it to you for for so cheap so the other thing that's a big problem that's solved with AWS cloud computing is that you don't have to guess what kind of server capacity and this is really a nightmare and i've had i've actually believe it or not had to deal with this in my career where you had to buy physical servers and then the servers get too too overwhelmed and then you're stuck right there's nothing you can do because your physical servers are are, are sitting there churning uh, likewise you can buy too many servers i've also seen this problem and then they're just seeing their idle and then you just wasted a million dollars so the ideal scenario is that you scale according to demand so so how do we do this well uh, we, we can also do this by increasing the speed and the agility and so in, in, instead of waiting for weeks for again like the bureaucracy of a large organization and this really is a problem uh, right now in America is there's huge, huge bureaucracies. You don't have to do any of that. You just click a button. And so that's, I think, in a way, a threat to many uh, traditional IT departments is that they, someone with a credit card can basically replace many of the things that they do and get up and running, let's say, a thousand times faster. So what does this do? It, it helps you stop spending money on running and maintaining data centers. So with a data center, we got payroll for the people and they're not cheap, right? You have utilities, you have uh, maintenance, you have landscaping, you have hardware, all that is an investment, but 
instead you can focus on your business and you can focus on your customers the other thing that's also almost impossible i mean there really is no way to replace this is this idea of going global in minutes if you see aws has the north virginia um, region it has ohio north carolina i'm sorry north uh, northern california oregon uh, mumbai india pacific european union all these locations just click a button you go global in a minute and in fact in many cases you have to go global because there are different data regulations in different parts of the world for example the european union you can't uh, send data from the european union to another region uh, of the world so you you must do that if you're going to be working with companies in uh, europe so takeaways here you're able to trade capital expense for variable expense. You're able to benefit from massive economies of scale. You have to stop guessing capacity. You can increase your speed and agility. You stop spending money on, 80, on running data centers. You go global in minutes. So for people taking the exam, you must know these terms. And this is, I think, one of the really big takeaways with certification material is that maybe you understand it in a slightly different way or would say it in a different way. It's important to know the terminology that the cloud vendor use, uses and copy that terminology so that when you see it on an exam, you don't you get yourself tripped up. Okay, let's talk about the introduction to Amazon Web Services. What is a web service? Well, it's a piece of software that makes it self available over the internet and uses standardized formats such as XML or JavaScript object notation, JSON, for the request and the response of an application programming interface or API. We got client, internet, web service, right? We have all these things uh, inside, uh, you know, going, going back and forth. But in general, uh, you're taking some kind of, you know, data and you're you're sending it to some other location and getting back a response. What is AWS? It's a secure cloud platform that gives you a broad set of uh, cloud-based products. You have on-demand resources like compute, storage, network, database. You also have the flexibility, right? You can just use what you need and you can pay for the services uh, that you need, uh, but only for as long as you need them and you don't have to get a huge bundle of services, right? You just get the thing you, you care about. So what are the categories of AWS services? Well, there's a lot. <laughs> there are analytics, cost management, Internet of Things, networking and content delivery, application integration, customer engagement, machine learning, robotics, AR and VR, databases, management and governance, satellite, blockchain, developer tools, media services, security, identity and compliance, business applications, end user computing, migration and transfer, storage, compute, game technology, mobile. So what's a simple solution look like? Well, let's say you're building a database application. Customers would potentially send that data to EC2, and then that service uh, is really in the compute category. And then you would go and store that data, let's say, inside of uh, the Amazon storage system. And then you could use also a non-relational database like uh, DynamoDB to power the application. So in general, the idea is that you can use all the different resources and build them together in a building block. Uh, as well, a thing to be aware of is that you have to choose the right service uh, depending on what your requirements are. So for example, what is EC2 good for? Well, you can have complete control over your AWS computing resources. For AWS Lambda, you can run code and not manage or provision servers. Beanstalk allows you to create a service that deploys 
manages and scales web applications. Uh, also, LightSail Light is a pretty interesting service. It allows you to do uh, basically um, content management or lightweight, simple web apps. AWS Batch, you can run thousands of batch workloads. This is really helpful for machine learning. I've used it for that. There's Outposts. You can run infrastructure on your own data center, which is pretty cool. Uh, Elastic Container Service or Amazon ECS, uh, Amazon Elastic Kubernetes Service or AWS Fargate. You can do containers and microservices and they handle some of the things that are really annoying about managing a, a Kubernetes service. There's also VMware Cloud on AWS. So you can have an on-premise server virtualization platform that you can migrate to AWS. So what are some of the services we're going to cover? Uh, there's In terms of compute services, there's Let's just make a list. There's Amazon EC2, there's uh, AWS Lambda, there's AWS Elastic Beanstalk, there's uh, EC2 Auto Scaling, ECS, EKS, ECR, and Fargate. And, and this is an important thing that I would make sure you have memorized is this list of compute services that comes up over and over again and know which one does what. Security, identity, and compliance services. We got AWS IAM, uh, Amazon Cognito, AWS Shield, AWS Artifact, AWS KMS. Storage services, we have Amazon S3, Amazon S3 Glacier, Amazon EFS, Amazon EBS. Database services, we have Amazon RDS, Amazon DynamoDB, Amazon Redshift, Amazon Aurora, networking and content delivery service, uh, Amazon VPC, Amazon Route 53, Amazon CloudFront, Elastic Load Balancing. For management and governance, a huge topic right now. We have the Trusted Advisor, we have CloudWatch, we have CloudTrail, Well-Architected Tool, Auto-Scaling, Command Line Interface, Config, Management Console, Organization, and then for Cost Management, we have Cost and Usage Reporting, Budgets, and Cost Explorer. All right, so what are the three ways that you can interact with AWS? The first one is the console itself, and this allows you to really click buttons and launch services. There's also the Command Line Interface, which I'm a huge fan of, and you can see that when you launch AWS Cloud Shell, and it's very simple to, to control things. Now, you can also download that CLI on your own machine, so you can run it on Linux, Mac, and Windows. I personally would, would recommend you run it inside of the AWS platform using AWS Cloud Shell. There's also SDKs. So the SDK allows you to control and programmatically automate AWS from languages like Java, Python. There's also Go, C Sharp. You know, there's a lot of languages uh, that are available to you if you want to develop software on top of the Amazon platform. Okay, takeaways. AWS is a secure cloud platform that offers a broad set of global cloud-based products. There's many categories. We went through a bunch of those. There's services based on your uh, business and technology goals, and there's three ways to interact with those services. All right, let's keep going, and let's move into the cloud adoption framework or uh, AWS CAF. So in general, you'll hear this as like kind of a consulting term, but uh, a cloud ad adoption journey is, is really unique to an organization. And so the business and the technology people have to be working together. When I've seen problems moving to the cloud, you know, crop their head up, it's really because there's a mismatch between the business people want one thing and the technology people want another, and then there's some kind of a problem. So what this framework does is it gives like a best practice uh, you know, perspective about, okay, here's what we've noticed that is uh, a great way to get started and it, and it builds them out. And so it's organized into six perspectives and these perspectives contain a set of capabilities. 
So let's start with um, focus on the business capabilities. So this would be business, people, and governance. And we also want to focus on the technical capabilities, the platform, the security, and the operations. All right, so what is the business perspective? Well, the first thing I would recommend is you must ensure that IT is aligned with the business needs and that IT investments can be traced to business results. And so this is really a problem for many organizations as they're trying to set up the cloud computing and then they don't know exactly uh, the alignment between IT and business. But one of the ways you can do this is IT finance, IT strategy, business realization, business risk management. The people perspective is another one. You have to prioritize training, staffing, organization changes to build an organization. So this is something I see quite a bit even today is that many places that want to either teach cloud computing, use cloud computing, it's this organizational change that becomes the problem is that you know you have to dedicate the time to train everybody in your organization so that they can feel like they're ready to move on to cloud computing so what this means is that you need to have resource management incentive management career management training management organizational change management so in a nutshell if you don't give people a reason to learn this technology they're just not going to learn it so governance perspective this is another one that comes up is that you have to ensure that the skills and processes align with IT strategy. So for example, in governance, it would be portfolio management, program and project management, business performance measurement, licensing management. These are all things that are important to be aware of. And then platform perspective, and basically the IT systems and the relationships, they have to work together uh, with the business so you know how much compute do you need to provision what about the networking with the storage database provisioning systems and solutions architecture and application development so those are all the components of what would be in a platform uh, that you're building out security is one of the biggest ones that you'll hear about a lot because of there's so many um, problems with cybersecurity is identity and access management or the principle of least privilege. Are you giving people just what they need? Uh, detective control, infrastructure security, data protection. Is that data encrypted at um, rest and in transit? Uh, incident response, are, are you aware of when there's some kind of a problem? And then the operations perspective is the day-to-day the -day things that you're doing when you're building out infrastructure quarter to quarter, year to year. So service monitoring, application performance monitoring, resource inventory, release management, change management, reporting analytics, business continuity, disaster recovery, IT service catalog. These are all the things that take place when you're doing operations. Okay, so basically cloud adoption is not instantaneous for organizations. You have to have a strategy and then execute that strategy. Uh, and a lot of it happens through organizational change management. The AWS CAF or Cloud Adoption Framework is basically the best way to, to implement this uh, strategy and organization. And there's different areas of focus. I think it's a pretty sane and, and, and clear strategy and it is really a good way to get started with uh, thinking about AWS in your org. All right, so what are the wrap ups? You should be able to define different types of cloud computing models. You should be able to describe the six advantages of cloud computing, recognize the main service categories and core services. If you don't know these, I would definitely recommend writing them down and review the cloud adoption framework. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, move on here. I'm gonna try to get one more module in today, which is uh, economics and billing. And with economics and billing, 
uh, this is a place that's really important to pay attention to when you're first getting started. Uh, and in, in particular, we're going to cover fundamentals of pricing, total cost of ownership, AWS organizations, billing and cost management, and technical support. So how does it work? Uh, well, we're basically going to make sure you understand the, the capabilities of, of the billing and economics. So fundamentals of pricing here, uh, there's three fundamental drivers of cost with AWS. There's compute, which is hours a second, or uh, in many cases, actually now, it's actually minutes per, per second. Uh, and so uh, basically, it varies by instance. It's, it's for Linux only, you're able to get that granular billing. And then in uh, storage, you're charged typically per the gigabyte, and then data transfer outbound is aggregated and charged. Inbound has no charge with some exceptions. And then you're charged by the gigabyte. So these are basically, it's compute, storage, and, and data transfer, and you're, and you're basically charged by use. So you pay for what you use. You also uh, pay less when you reserve, and then you pay less when you use more. So these are really uh, important components to be aware of when you're using cloud computing. And I think it's a really good thing to, to be aware of. Uh, and in particular, when you, when you think about pay for what you use on-premise, on you're putting huge dollars down into a, into a system. Think about buying a Maserati or Ferrari, right? Those are super expensive versus you rent it and it's still gonna be expensive, but it's much different than buying it all at once. That's really the concept with pay as you use. And you pay less when you reserve. I think this is probably the easiest way for an organization to uh, lower their costs. That if I had to pick one thing that most organizations don't do, it's that they don't use reserved instances and you can save up to 75% cost. And so uh, I think this is something that I would recommend you, you take a look at if you're, if you're not doing this already in your organization. And you can basically do this by either doing some down payment or in some cases you can just say i promise i'll use these for some period of time and then you don't actually have to pay uh the the, the cost up front and you pay less by using more so basically as you get more and more into using cloud services there's actually lower costs from a usage perspective so this is basically buying in bulk and you pay even less when AWS grows. So basically AWS is constantly lowering the prices. And in, in fact, which is very interesting in a way, you know, because we have inflation, but AWS has uh, the ability to lower the prices. And so AWS has lowered pricing 75 times from 2006 to 2019 and high performance resources will replace the current resources. So you're also getting uh, additional uh, performance benefits, even though you're paying a lower price. So custom pricing, you can also do you know specific projects. Now the free tier is the best place that I would recommend you get started with, and you you can do this for free for a year with new customers. You sign up for an AWS account, you learn a 10 minute tutorial, you start building with AWS, that's it. So definitely recommend playing around with the free tier. The, the services that don't have any charge are VPC, Elastic Beanstalk, Auto Scaling, CloudFormation, and IAM. Now they may trigger something that charges you, but you don't have to actually um, get charged for those, those services. So in a nutshell, there's no charge for inbound data. You pay for what you use. You stop and start any time, no long-term contracts. Some are free of, of the services, but other others that you provision may not be free. For example, like 
physical machines like bare metal, you're gonna pay for those resources. All right, total cost of ownership, really important concept in IT. And again, traditional infrastructure, you got equipment, resources, contracts, cost. Those are all things that could be in the millions of dollars. AWS, you pay nothing up front. You can move quickly. Again, from a laptop, you could build an entire company. In fact, I've done this multiple times. I've built out an entire company just on my laptop, just cranking through writing code and building a whole cloud-based infrastructure where in, in the old days, it could take a year, right? And you get, I don't know, 20 IT people and you're building out this infrastructure. You can just click buttons on your laptop. You can scale up and down. You can build a self-service infrastructure. So what is the total cost of ownership? It's an estimate that helps you identify the direct and indirect costs of a system. So why would you use it? The idea is to really think about when someone says, hey, it's cheaper to run our own services. I would definitely say no, because in most cases it is not cheaper because you're not fully calculating in things like salary, you know, loss, you know, uh, problems that come up with outages. And, and, and this allows you to build a, a realistic budget and build a business case to move things to the cloud. So what are these total cost of ownership uh, things to think about? We've got server costs, and this is the server, the rack chassis, the power, the top of the rack. We've got software, so the operating system licensing, virtualization licensing, maintenance, the facilities costs, space, power, cooling, right? These are bills that you're gonna have to pay. Storage costs, hardware, storage disks, SANS, fiber channel switches, storage administration costs, facility costs. We have network costs, right? So local area network switches, load balancing, the actual admins that you're gonna to pay to run this who are not cheap, they're very expensive. IT labor costs, right? These are really expensive in general when you're dealing with um, the, the physical data center. So that's really the concept of total cost of ownership. You could save up to 96% a year by moving your infrastructure to AWS, your three-year savings would be about $150,000. So let's say an on-prem system all-in is $160,000. The equivalent on AWS would be $7,500. So that is matches with my experience as well, is that because there's such an, uh, an expensive upfront cost with a physical data center, if you design your architecture correctly and you do things like use reserved instances, it's a fraction, right? It could be essentially, you know, roughly 5%. So how would you calculate what it would cost you? You would use the AWS pricing calculator, estimate monthly costs, identify opportunities to reduce costs, model the solution. Basically by doing pre-planning, you can actually figure out exactly what it would cost to move to the AWS cloud. So how do you do an estimate? You look at the estimate broken into 12 months total upfront total monthly uh, and also with a pricing calculator you can break it up into groups of four or five as well the other things to consider beyond just those calculations are the hard benefits you're not spending time doing things where you're not an expert that's reducing spending and time on operations the soft benefits is you're able to move much much quickly much more quickly by using uh, cloud computing and you know, there's some case studies of different uh, organizations. I'll just skip through and just talk about another service called AWS Organizations. Now, an organization is a hierarchical structure that allows you to create things like an OU, which is organizational unit, and inside you can have accounts. So you can have accounts that have multiple accounts underneath them. 
And in, in general, the reason for doing this is you can do policy-based account management. You can also do group-based account management. You can have APIs, you can consolidate billing. With, with organizations, you can control IM. You can also control uh, service control policies. Uh, how do you set it up? You just go create an organization, create the units, create a policy, and then test it out. So it's a lot like Active Directory, which uh, at, at one time was a really big IT paradigm. What are the limits of AWS organizations? Uh, well, you can have one route, you can have 1,000 OUs, you can have 1,000 policies, uh, and there, there could be 20 uh, invitations set per day. And uh, the member accounts you can, you can create concurrently, there's five at a time and you can have an unlimited number of entities attached to a policy. So how would you access an organization? It would be a console, CLI, SDK, or HTTP interface. Okay, let's talk about billing and cost management here. So there's a dashboard, and that's probably one of the best places to start if you just are getting started with AWS. Make sure you look at the billing dashboard. There's so many people I've worked with in the last several years that got started with AWS, they didn't look at the billing dashboard, all of a sudden they get a $3,000 bill because something was running. It's similar though, if you go to your backyard and you accidentally leave the hose on, you can get a huge water bill. It's the same concept. And so you want to look at the meter, which is the billing and cost management. So some tools that will really help you out, and this is another one I would recommend, is setting up a budget. We'll talk about that cost and usage re um, report and also cost explorer. So in a nutshell, the AWS Marketplace charges, AWS Service charges, these are all things you see in the monthly bill, but you can break it out by the Cost Explorer, which is really handy. It'll tell you, for example, you're spending a lot of money on EC2. Uh-oh, why am I doing this? Let me dig into it. Or RDS, the Relational Database Service. The forecasting and, and, uh, and track cost feature is a great way to figure out what's happening. So you can get, a, it'll, it'll forecast what you probably will spend and then you can go ahead as well and, and get a, um, a billing alert, which is something I'd recommend you start off with. So uh, maybe the final thing is that, you know, in terms of a billing dashboard, there's a breakdown. It breaks down by cost and you can play with that yourself. Now, technical support. This is a, one of the things that I think is also not utilized in many organizations is the AWS support. I would highly recommend it. They've got support. They've got support plans. And support is provided for experimenting, production use, and business critical. So first up, let's talk about a TAM or technical account manager. Uh, and we'll also talk about trusted advisor and support concierge. So the basic support basically is dashboards, right? You, you, you don't get anything. Uh, the developer support means that you get some support for early features. Business support is customers that run production workloads. Enterprise support, it means that you get essentially real-time support. And I've used that uh, in many organizations and I would recommend it. So the case severity and response times would be for basic, there's no case support. For developer plan, for normal, you've got 12 hours or 24 hours. For business plans, you, you could get urgent support in an hour or less. Uh, if it's low, you'll get 24 hours. Now, enterprise support, which again is what I would recommend for you know, like Fortune 500 companies, you can get support within 15 minutes. They can actually plan things out with you. And in fact, they have somebody that's co-located uh, or, or, or assigned to your organization. So, you know, basically in a nutshell, 
the, the big takeaway is that enterprise support, if you're a Fortune 500 company, is often a very good idea. So what did we cover? We talked about fundamentals of pricing, total cost of ownership, pricing calculator, billing calculator, and I think that's a good place to stop uh, right now. So I'm gonna just stop here and talk a little bit more about this. So in a nutshell, I would recommend if you are wanting to be an expert on AWS, is start off with this cloud practitioner certification. And it really is fairly straightforward. And uh, fortunately for you, I'm gonna cover a little bit of it each week. And so we should be able to get through this material in the next few weeks. And I'll talk to you a little bit about studying for the exam as well. If something crops up where there's a demo that makes sense, I'll also go through and, and demo it out as well. All right, well, thank you for attending today. I will be here again next Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern time and uh, I'll continue to do 52 weeks of AWS. All right, talk to everybody later.